Good morning, all. It's good to see my church family here. I was, I was back last week, but a couple of weeks prior to that, Barb and I were out of town, and, and I, I honestly missed all of you, even where I was, which was a great place to be, but I honestly missed all of you. It's always good to come back, and especially here tonight, we start up the biggest bowl in the whole wide world. It starts up tonight, along with the Sunday night seminar and fast track, so hopefully all of you will be here for your age-appropriate event. I'm going to ask Faith Feathers to come up here, and I've got something for her to do. So come on up, Faith. I've got some stuff here. Okay, Faith, I've got some tools for you. I've got this hammer. Now, this is Jim Garrett's hammer, so take really good care of it, okay? Uh, I've got this uh, box of various screws and bolts and stuff like that, okay? I've got uh, this really cool screwdriver. I've got this. It's not really a Frisbee. I've got this. Okay, you got it? Okay. And I've got this. Now, I can see everybody. There she is. Okay. So, okay, now I, ha- I have something I would like you to do for me. Okay, I've given you these tools, right? Okay. I want you to build me a car, okay? You're going to be, okay, are, are you ready? Has, have you finished no. it yet? No. Oh, okay. What? Why? Why haven't you finished it yet? You don't have the right tools. And no one's ever taught me how to build a car. Nobody's ever taught you how to build a car. Well, living with your dad, I would have thought you would know these things by now. I don't pay attention. You don't pay attention. Okay. Now, <laughs> see, I don't believe that at all. Okay. Well, thank you anyway, Faith. I got to say I'm just a little bit disappointed, but go ahead and have a seat. Okay. Now, of course... With the things that I've gave Faith to build a car, she had to say those things, right? I mean, if somebody asks you to do something, you say, I don't have the tools, right? You say, I don't have the materials, I might not have that. I don't know how. That's a big thing that we don't have sometimes. Or I don't have time. Now, I asked Faith to do that quickly, and, you know, she didn't have the time to build a car. So the bottom line is that we are not equipped to do just anything. We can't do just anything. That is, we don't have what we need to do everything there is to do. That's how we feel in life sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we're not just equipped for certain kinds of work. We may be equipped for this, but not for specific tasks. And the truth is, we're not equipped for just anything because we're not all supposed to do just everything that there is to do. I have long since accepted the reality that I'm not equipped to do certain things. I'm not handy with tools, for example. I know how to pound a nail in with a hammer, but uh, that's pretty close to the extent of what I can do. I'm not handy with tools. I can't fix too many things or build too many things. And you know what? I can live with that. I'm very comfortable in my own skin. That's why I get Jason Feathers to do those things that I can't do. That's why I go to Bruce when I have a computer issue that's stumping me. I began to learn this lesson early in life. For example, when I was in 7th and 8th grade, I really wanted to be a pro basketball player. There were just two small problems with that and whether or not I was really equipped to be a pro basketball player. First of all, I was never going to be tall enough. I'm 5'10", and I've reached my height. I'm not, I'm not you know, as tall as Bruce or Dave. 
And then the second thing that was the problem, that I didn't have enough skill or talent. Just those two little things, those two little things stood between me and NBA stardom and being a multimillionaire. Other than that, I could have been a good pro player. Now, of course, today, I could just self-identify. I could self-identify as a black six-foot-eight NBA ball player, and you'd all have to accept that, unless, of course, you're a hater or you're a bigot. Fortunately, I realized early on that I wasn't equipped to be a pro player, and it's clear that I wasn't supposed to be. That wasn't part of what God had for me. Now, if you think about this, when Paul Bergard shows up on a job site to build something, or he sends someone to build something, do you think he just shows up one day and he says, okay, let's build this? No, what does he do? He gets all the materials that he needs. He gets all the tools together. He gets the people who know how to do this task and that task, what to do with those materials and tools. So he comes fully equipped for the job at hand. Fully equipped. We hear that term, don't we? We hear that term thrown around in relation to different things, like, for example, car sales. And with a car, what it might mean is that a vehicle has all the equipment you could want or need. It has air conditioning, it has Bluetooth audio, it has power everything. You don't even hardly have to steer. It has maybe uh, electronic remote keyless entry. It has perhaps a video screen or a backup camera, right? That's a fully equipped car. Equipping is empowerment because being equipped means you have to have the power, you have to have the ability to do something. We like the sound, don't we, of being fully equipped, of something that's fully equipped or a person that comes to us fully equipped to handle a specific task. And that's the title of this morning's message, Fully Equipped. We'll read a passage of Scripture here in a moment that reveals that idea in a fuller way. Put more simply, I wouldn't ask someone to go to paint a room upstairs here in our church without proper instruction, without giving them paint, without giving them brushes, without empowering them and equipping them to do what they need and what they've asked them to do. Well, when we look at the Word of God, we see that God asks or commands us to do a lot of things, don't we? We see, for example, God saying, Be holy as I am holy. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. The Word tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The Word tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. The Word tells us not to conform to this world. The Word tells us to bless those who persecute us. Scripture tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourselves. The same passage that speaks of humility tells us to look not only on our own hearts and our own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, with many of these things, think about it, we might have the same reaction as Faith had in our opening illustration. I can't. I can't do it. I don't know how. I don't have the tools. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the ability. I don't have the time. It's just not in me as Faith said, to build a car. It's just not in me to do some of these things. That is, I am not equipped to do those things. But here's the kicker. God says that as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are fully equipped 
to do all that he has asked us to do. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be spending most of this morning's message in this chapter. So let me read verses 3 through 11 of 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may be able to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's about a dozen sermons in this short passage of Scripture But we're going to focus on that key idea here this morning, found initially in verse 3, expanded on and enhanced a little bit in subsequent verses. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He calls us to live our lives in him and to be godly. And because he calls us, He equips us to be godly. He gives us the tools to be godly. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. It's not simple in any way. Yes, we still struggle with sin. We have to learn to use, and this is something that happens over a lifetime, we learn to use these tools that he's given us to be godly. You could equip me today with all the tools and all the materials I need to fix my car, and they'd be wasted because I don't know how to use them. What this verse is saying, I believe, is that not only has he given us the tools through his Holy Spirit living in us, he's given us the knowledge. We just have to decide to use the tools that he's given us and learn how to use these tools and we can learn. How unlike God would it be if he didn't equip us to learn what we need to be godly in this life? or even just to cope with life. He gives us these admonitions that we looked at in Scripture a few moments ago, and he expects us to obey. So how unlike unlike God it would be if he didn't equip us also to obey. Here Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need for life. He has given us everything we need for godliness. The implication is clear. We can grow in obedience. We can grow in obedience. If we look back at the passage we just looked at in verse 8, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, okay? So we can grow in these things. He's given us these admonitions and commandments to obey. He's given us everything we need for godliness, and the implication is clear. We can be 
uh, growing in service, we can be growing in effectiveness, we can grow in productivity for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's take a little bit closer look about what this passage tells us about being fully equipped. First of all, we're not just talking about everyday equipping. We're talking about receiving power. We're talking about receiving power, the power to live godly lives. We're not talking about the kind of electrical power that can fail, like when we have severe thunderstorms here or what uh, so many people are experiencing in Texas and are experiencing anew today in Florida where their power goes out. We're talking about what the Apostle Peter calls divine power. And of course, divine means it comes from God. It's not anything we can develop on our own. It's not anything we can bring to the task naturally. It does not come from within us. It comes from God. The truth is, we don't have the resources in and of ourselves. We're not equipped in and of ourselves to cope with life at all. And certainly, we're not equipped to live godly lives in and of ourselves, in our own strength, our own willpower, like, let's work this up. Something we have to recognize even when we come to Christ for salvation. Paul tells Romans that apart from Christ, we are what? Dead in our sins. And what can dead people do? Nothing. Dead people can do nothing. So just as we must say before God, at the moment we receive his free gift of salvation through Jesus, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I can't live up to your standards. I can't save myself. I can't not sin apart from you. Now, as believers, no matter how long we've been followers of Christ, no matter how long we've grown in him, in some ways, we're in a similar state. We can't be godly, that is. We can't live up to his standards. And here's the key idea, in our own strength. In our own strength. Jesus said what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. The moment we believe we can go it alone, or we can even try to do that and just work these things up by our own willpower, we have failed. But the good news is that once we've acknowledged that we need him, we have this divine power source that we can tap into, a divine power source that equips us, that enables us to live life and, yes, to live godly lives before him. Isn't that good news? It's good news to me. The Life Application Bible put it this way, because we don't have the resources to be truly godly, God allows us to participate in the divine nature in order to keep us from sin and help us live for him. When we are born again, God by his spirit empowers us with his own moral goodness. Wow, I don't know about you, that's an awesome thing to think about. God empowers us by his spirit with his own moral goodness. Listen to these passages of scripture that help to illustrate this. We look at John chapter 3 verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, the Spirit of God, gives birth to Spirit, His Spirit in us. The Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, gives birth to His Spirit in us. We read in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, Jesus talks there of the Spirit of truth, and He says, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you, talking to His followers, okay, that's to us too, believers, but you, But you know him, for why? 
He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I won't leave you ill-equipped. I will leave you fully equipped with divine power, my power. And then it goes on in verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, Jesus said, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There's the key, folks. He is in us. He is in us. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, writing of Jesus, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's another awesome thought. We can become in him we can become the righteousness of God. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. You think, well, how can we do this? How can we be equipped to love like this? Well, verse 23, the next verse tells us, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. We're born again, folks. Those of us who are in Christ are born again of Him, in Him, by Him. This power that gives us everything we need for life and godliness is His divine power. The word power here in the original language is dunamis. It's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. It's explosive power brothers and sisters. It's explosive power. In context, it refers to ability and abundance. The root word is to be able. One Bible dictionary noted that all the words that stem from this root word have the meaning of being able or capable. So even simply the words divine power in this context indicate equipping, being made able, being made capable. Let's take a moment to look at this phrase, has given us, that we see in our uh, primary text today. The original language here means to bestow gratuitously, to give, to make a gift of. Now in this verse, the word is used to tell us of the free giving of God's power, with the result being that we, because God has given it, we have everything that we need. We're fully equipped for life and for godliness. The verb here indicates that this divine power doesn't give life and godliness because somebody deserves it, but because it's available to all. It's a gift. It's a free gift. It's the same word used in verse 4 where it says that God has given us His great and precious promises. And again, the implication in the language is clear. These are promises of God given to us as believers, initiated by God Himself, and therefore they are undeserved promises but promises nonetheless. Next in this passage, we can look briefly at the words life and godliness. The Greek word for life here is zoe. Now, depending on the context, zoe can refer to physical life alone, in other words, as opposed to death or non-existence. But here, in context, what it means is the manner of life, conduct in a moral respect, the life of God, meaning that which God requires a godly life. So again, because of the context, it's clear that the primary meaning of life here refers to our moral or our spiritual life. 
However, because zoe can also be used in a more general sense of life, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that it can deal with the more mundane things of life, the things that we often don't spiritualize. Things like work or school or other activities. These are all places we need to be living godly lives, even though they're more mundane. We don't think about that necessarily in the context of, gee, we're in church. You know, we're talking about people who are Christians on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week, okay? But that's not what God requires of us. That's not what he expects of us. Of course, I also believe God wouldn't have us separate life into the sacred and the secular. We're in trouble when we do that, folks, the spiritual and the non-spiritual. We tend to do that sometime, and God would not have us do that. All aspects of life can be applied here. Now, godliness is also an interesting word here. The Greek word has to do with devotion to God or piety toward God. Let me read an explanation from a Bible dictionary. When godliness is applied to the Christian life, it denotes a life that is acceptable to Christ, indicating the proper attitude of the believer toward Christ who has saved him. It is both an attitude and a manner of life. It is in this manner that 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, train yourself to be godly or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It doesn't come automatically, but it's something into which we must put effort. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, we are urged to follow after righteousness and godliness. I think we should also not ignore the simple word here, through, as we see in verse 3, where it says, through the knowledge of him. And I'll tell you why. It's because this word indicates cause and effect. It means the channel of an act. Here's how this comes to us. It means the mode, the manner, the state or circumstance through which anything, as it were, passes to us. That's where, how it takes place, how it's produced. This is important because of what comes next. The phrase, knowledge of him knowledge of him. In other words, Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness, and we've just taken a look at all that that implies. And the way he's given us this, the means through which God has equipped us with his power, is through, because of, produced by our knowledge of him. Now this may be one of the most important things you'll hear all morning, so please don't miss this. The word here for knowledge is a stronger version of another word for knowledge. Word Study Bible Dictionary helps us draw some important things about the usage of this word here. It says, this word, okay, referring to this word for knowledge, it is more intensive than ordinary knowledge because it expresses a more thorough participation in the acquiring of knowledge on the part of the learner. Now, in the New Testament, it often refers to knowledge which is very powerfully influenced by the form of religious life, a knowledge laying claim to personal involvement. When used the way it's used in this passage, it shows the relationship of the learner to the object of his knowledge. It increases spiritual blessings on the believer and determines the manifestations of our religious life. So it's not just knowledge, okay? It's knowing everything It's knowing everything we need to know for life and godliness. It's not knowing everything there is to know, but it's knowing everything we need to know. 
There are a lot of things that we don't really need to fully know or understand to live godly lives. But there are some things that we must know. And that's what God promises to give us. And it requires, it requires on our part, participation. We have to get with the program. It requires cooperation with the giver of this gift. And as this Bible dictionary notes, it shows the relationship of the learner, that's us, to the object of God's knowledge. In 2 Peter 1.8, again, let me read this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we get this all-important knowledge of him? Well, Peter tells us. He tells us a couple things. He says, first of all, God's power is what does this. Secondly, he tells us that this power has equipped us for everything we need for life and godliness. And he says that the conduit, the means through which we can access this divine power is our knowledge of him. Now, I don't want to discount the value of experiential knowledge. In fact, this word doesn't do that. Clearly, the word tells us that we can know him, at least in part, through, for example, creation. What we've seen in creation, that's made clear in Romans. And seeing certainly is an experiencing. So I don't want to imply that this is the only way of knowing him. I also don't want to de-emphasize the importance of communing with God through prayer as a means, as part of what he uses for us to know him better. But I think we can all agree that the primary means, the primary means that God has given us of knowing him is his word. The primary means God's given us of knowing him is his word. I can th- think we could even say that our experience of him with our senses, our experience of him in our prayers is guided by, it's enhanced by, it's informed by, driven by the word of God. After all, the word instructs us to pray. The word tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And we see that with our senses, so we experience that. Now again, let's think about what that means here in the context of 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power gives us what we need. It gives us everything. It fully equips us. It power equips us with divine power, with all we need for life, with all we need to be godly believers. And the primary way we're equipped, the primary way that we are fully equipped is through our knowledge of Him. And our knowledge of Him is primarily revealed through His Word. Now, if we believe that, if we really want to be equipped to deal with all of life, if we really want to have the power to live as godly, God-honoring, Christ-like believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then how can we get there? How can we avail ourselves of this equipping? Through our knowledge of Him. Through our knowledge of Him through what his word reveals about his character and about what we should do and about what we shouldn't do, through what he's given us by his divine power. His word reveals to us and that his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That should shape us. That should change us. That should mold us. The passage says he's given us what we need. So if we say, I can't do it, go back to that list of commandments and admonitions that I read at the beginning, all from Scripture. If we say, I can't do it, 
If we say, I don't know how, if we say, I'm not equipped, I think we're calling God a liar because right here it says he's given us everything we need. Because here it is, folks. Here it is, the precious word of God. His precious word, the primary means that we have of obtaining our knowledge of him. What does it do? Sometimes it sits on our shelves and it sits there while we read other things. Nothing wrong with reading other things. I read a lot of other things. It sits there while we watch TV. I watch TV too. It sits there while we do anything but plug into the source of this power, this source of our equipping. Now we looked at the beginning this morning of how foolish it would be for me to ask someone to build something like I asked faith. That was goofy, right? That was meant to be goofy. It was meant to kind of draw you in and grab your attention. It would also be goofy for me to ask someone to go upstairs and paint without providing them with the tools to do it or without giving them any instruction of what I want. Okay, I want you to paint this room, right? Now the opposite of that is what we face when we look at this passage of Scripture. It's as if I gave someone the paintbrushes and I gave them more than enough paint to do the job and I, then I sent them to a three-day school on how to paint walls and how to do it really well. And then they came home from that school with a manual. And that manual reminded them of all the things that they were supposed to have learned in that school of painting. And after that, what would you think of that person that I asked to paint if they said, I can't, I don't have the tools, I don't know how, I don't have what I need? You'd want to say to that person, sure you do, sure you do. There's the paint, there's the brushes, there's the manual that they gave you after graduating with honors from painting school. Just use what I've given you. Just use what I've given you. I think that's why Peter continues in this passage in 2 Corinthians. After recognizing that these things are all a gift from God, after recognizing that we're fully equipped, not just fully equipped, but power equipped with divine power, after noting that we can actually, because of what God has given, in a very real sense, participate in the divine nature Escape the corruption of the world. After pointing out all these truths, Peter writes from verses 5 to 9 of 2 Peter chapter 1, for this very reason, okay? So all those things he just pointed out, for this very reason, he's pointing back to, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If I may be so bold as to paraphrase, to help us understand this better, Peter says, use what God has given you to grow in Him, to cooperate with Him. God has acted. God's provided. Now you must cooperate. Get with His program. Make every effort. If you do, you'll be effective and productive. You'll be a servant of the Lord. Isn't that what we want, folks? Isn't that what we want? Now if you don't, If you don't use what I've already given to you, if you don't, 
you are nearsighted and blind, is what Peter says, and you've forgotten what God has done for you. Let's never forget what God has done for us. That drives everything, doesn't it? That drives everything. What has God done for us? He's saved us. He's redeemed us. And I think he might add, you're foolish for not using what God has already given. We read in 2 Timothy about the word, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped. May be thoroughly equipped. Another way of saying fully equipped for every good work. That's what the word is, folks. That's what it is. That's why we have it. The word translated here is thoroughly equipped. In the NIV means to equip, outfit, or furnish. One Bible dictionary says that because the sense of the word is causal, that means it says God is the one who equips, makes perfect. He causes this. So because of that, this verse could be translated that the man of God may be competent because he has been equipped, he has been outfitted, he has been furnished by God to be competent. We can be competent because God's given us what we need to be competent. We can be godly because of what God has given us to be godly. So the Word of God is just that, folks. It's His inspired Word. It's His message of salvation. It's His equipping for our lives. It's His equipping for our godliness. We must apply it to our lives to take advantage of that equipping. Otherwise, we're just like the guy I told to paint who says, I can't do it, but he's got the paint and the brushes. He's got all the tools he needs. He's got the manual, and he had the three days of paint training. Do we want to be like that? We must read the Word. We must know it. We must memorize it. God has revealed what is true right here in His Word, hasn't He? One commentary notes that in our zeal for the truth of Scripture, we must never forget one of its primary purposes to equip us to do good. We should not study God's Word simply to increase our knowledge or to prepare us to win arguments. We should study the Bible so that we will know how to do Christ's work in the world. Our knowledge of God's Word is not useful unless it strengthens our faith and leads us to do good. In other words, what good is it for us to be equipped with all this power if we don't use it? If we don't use it, that's up to us. God's done it. We just have to receive it. We just have to use it. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have indeed, as your word told us, fully equipped us. You've given us everything we need to live godly lives, to live our lives as servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've given us everything we need, Father, to be fruitful and productive servants, not just everyday servants, but servants who are doing the things you've asked us to do, servants who are obedient to your commandments, Father God. Father, we know that this is a gift from you. We know that there's nothing that any of us can do to work this up just by our own willpower and say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But Lord, we're grateful that by your Spirit, you have given us your Word, You've given us your Holy Spirit to live inside us. And so, Father, we are empowered by your Spirit, by divine power, to live godly lives for you. 
We pray that that would be more and more true of each of us as your followers. We pray that that would be more and more true as we grow in grace, as we grow in knowledge, as you sanctify us more and more each day, ever increasing as your word says, Father. We'd be ever increasing. That would be the hallmark of each of us in this church, Father God, that we would be your servants and that we would be pleasing to you as we live the lives of godliness that you've equipped us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.